0: Mind rolling. We're back. Both mind rollers. One, well, we're not in one spot again. Raghu Marcus here.
1: Raghu's in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm in New York City. David Silver is my name. Please remember that. Of course, of <laughs> course. Um, I'm insecure, you know. Just remember our names. Aha! Welcome to Mind Rollers. Mind rolling.
0: David told me it's, uh, this week is Dylan's birthday
1: week. Seventy-two.
0: Seventy-two. Which is scary, really.
1: Jeez, 72. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he still seems to me to be... Well, not really. But, you know, his music is so amazing that we're just starting off by talking about him, because why not, you know? Bob Dylan, Robert Zimmerman from Hibbings, Minnesota.
0: Well, we've said in the past that uh, uh, he has been uh, somebody who helped us, let's
1: say, come to the light. Not really. It's true, but it sounds too much because it's sort of like, for me, it was just, I just loved, I actually wasn't a huge fan of his like folk music type thing. You know, I mean, you know, blowing in the wind and all that. I knew it was great and it, it was great and it made me feel something that I felt already inside about hating government and the war. But it was when he started to rock and roll at Newport. And when was it Ragu sixty five or sixty yeah
0: sixty-five into six, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's when he got that rock band, that amazing rock band, and he played with the band too, with Robbie Robertson, but he also played with those great players, Mike Bloomfield and all those guys. He was phenomenal then. He wasn't just sort of like significant, he was phenomenal.
0: But the truth is when he when he first start when we first started listening to him and he was reflecting you know the pain that we were all feeling in the culture and you know i was being a little too um swift on the light thing because there was no light Uh, no but that's
1: that's typical of your whole thing well
0: but uh, you know i i don't want to be too dramatic (laughs) it was just that okay god darn there's somebody else out there who gives a shit Absolutely, and uh, you know, is is talking about things from a perspective that made sense in terms of you know we can't handle this anymore. Let us free of, let us be free of all this stuff. And then, true, when he started rocking out, then uh, he was able to really uh, that mes- message got uh, broadened uh, in yeah, in yeah. a big way and way more visceral for sure.
1: Yeah, it was more. It was more part of the the sort of fire of the times and the stones and the Beatles went by that time. But at the beginning, you're right. It was Bob Dylan. It was civil rights. It was like you were looking at listening to Bob Dylan and you were also looking at Martin Luther King Jr. and, and everyone else. So, it, yeah, you're right. He was a, a real. I don't think he wanted to be. I really don't. It was that he was unconsciously that he was just a great artist who fell the zeitgeist. I don't think he would ever say I was a protest singer or I'd, he never does. He's no, very he as we know, he's very yeah. enigmatic, uh, like all interesting beings, he's very <laughs> enigmatic. But uh, at that time you're right, Rago, it just resonated so heavily when you listen to, you know, um whatever it was, you know. Well, Blown you know in, uh, blowing uh in I, the wind, you know. Yeah,
0: whatever. yeah, yeah. I was uh in a Charlie Chaplin movie uh once, uh, and that was uh about living in Israel, okay, and I lived in a kibbutz. And, you know, this is right at that time uh, when Dylan was blowing up. And uh, my job was in a furniture factory, and every day I'd have to go in there. Of course, I'd smoke a ton of hash, you know, about 4 o'clock in the morning to get to the factory at 5, and then send... A piece of wood, the back of it was a Danish furniture factory in northern Israel by Haifa, which made it easy to get that hash from the Arabs in Haifa. And uh, so, yeah, I used to sand the same piece of back of Danish backing every day, hundreds and hundreds of pieces, same thing day after day. But they'd pipe in music, and I remember in their little playlist, Maggie's Farm, was, it played all the time. And it was like, you know, I was in a Charlie Chaplin
1: movie, like in the factory or something. You know, and, it's funny, Raga, I have to interrupt you, because I didn't know why you mentioned Charlie Chaplin, but now I do. But you know that they often, often compared Dylan to Chaplin. He, you know, it no. was, yeah, when he was first, like... Um, you know rocking a little bit in Manchester in England for instance he was wearing like a polka dot shirt and had that huge hair and those wayfarer glasses the way he walked on stage and the way he did things people said Dylan has a chaplain-esque quality which I wouldn't have immediately thought but he did he did anyway that's just by the by I'm just mentioning that yeah I mean Maggie's Farm what a relentless powerful thing you know
0: uh, absolutely so really yeah. i mean and yeah. we both said this uh, in 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 the earlier podcasts about how much he's meant he meant to us culturally spiritually uh psychically you know in all ways because he showed that there was uh, he, he was he was like a brother who was saying how it how it is you know and there was a lot of comfort that there was you know he represented other people out there when you it, couldn't, you know, I was in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, Montreal in a whole other cultural environment, and, uh, you know, we didn't have a chance to, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was in New York. I mean, you were in New York, right? I no, you I were wasn't. in Boston, right? No, I was, no in, you were. I
1: was actually in England when Dylan broke, and, you know, because the Beatles were so huge, um, it just wasn't quite what it was here. When I came here in 66, Dylan... And I came to Cambridge, where Dylan frequently played at Club 47. He played there with Joan Baez in that era. I didn't see him then. But yeah, I, I, yeah, it was different for me too, Raghu. My world was not that world at that point. I mean, I, I was really kind of an activist, kind of a serious activist against the war, both in England and here. But it took me a while to just realize how powerful Dylans. You know, I didn't even listen to the lyrics. I have to be honest. It was just the feeling of the thing. It was just the way they went. And his skill as a phraser. A, a and all those words he would get in and how funny he was. Right from the start, even mm. with serious music about, you know, apocalyptic events as he saw them. You, you know, know,
0: another what? interesting thing is that he, uh, it's, it's like he kept coming down the generations. Mm-hmm. I remember my son was like... As a teenager, that's all he listened to for a certain time. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing how that's happened. All right,
1: well, we got to it, it didn't happen with my daughters. Let me just put it oh, that really? way, mildly. Like, neither of them had the slightest love for Bob Dylan no. and used to complain if I put him on. But So it doesn't always work out that way. But yeah. nowadays, I, actually now with the younger people, they really, I think, appreciate Dylan because he was such a bard and such a, a voice. So we should play something. You have something interesting, right, to play of his?
0: Yeah, I'm going to play something of his that is. Uh, it's like a rare live thing. It's not hard to get, but it's probably something that most people haven't heard because it's a version of a famous song that he did live. So it's got an extra little uh, jangle in it. the The recording isn't as good as, of course, as as the as the record. But uh, anyhow, I'm going to. And should we? No, we'll name it after for people who don't get it. It'll be yeah, just surprised. listen to it. We
1: won't say anything about it, and then after it, we'll tell you a little about what. I'm going to play my harmonica so will you play it. Bob Dylan. That's not
0: Bob Dylan. Here is Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bye.
2: Henry. <laughs> makes it Still has not showed We see the empty cage, not the road Where her cape of the stage once had it-
0: Okay, so that's called
1: Visions of Johanna. Remember that? Yeah, Blonde on Blonde, my favorite album actually of his and many other people's too. When he not only matured as a rocker, but he became so lyrical and beautiful. The music was incredibly sort of hypnotic. Visions of Johanna was a really long track. At least six, seven, maybe nine minutes. I don't know. Well, the each.
0: original track was this, this yeah. on this, uh, this live version. He actually did a short six, just over six minutes. It's so, just
1: captivating music. It's not, I, to talk about it, it almost reduces it. It's so, it's so wonderful.
0: Happy Birthday, Bob. That's our happy birthday part of our Happy Birthday, Bob Dylan special
1: yes. podcast. Thank you
0: all right what, what, what you had some other stuff on that mind of yours what is it
1: oh well um you know i was just thinking about bob dylan and those days and we've received ragu as you very well know a, a bunch of letters emails apart from other things comments uh on the uh, mind Drilling podcast website received a lot of emails from people uh being very uh, enthusiastic about listening to information from us, remembrances, ideas, fantasies, whatever, about those, those times uh, when what is happening now in many ways was started and initiated, if not completed, of course, but certainly in terms of social activism, certainly in terms of the place of music, of, of you know, it, it, there's a lot of similarities. But some of the things that we take for granted um, People who just weren't born then, uh, you know, like to hear about, not out of any kind of reverence, but more out of resonance. They know, they sense what it is. They know what it is. So when we go into details about it, um, it's really amazingly interesting for people and um, more interesting for them than it is for us, probably. Uh, But so one of the things that are most come to my mind is how, for me, music, was the sort of stimulator. It was, it was a diving board. It was a springboard into a different reality, you know, with, with Dylan and the dead and the birds and Buffalo Springfield and the Beatles, Stones. This was overwhelming. There were literally hundreds of bands that were all moving us, shifting us into another place. What I'm interested in is how that shift then suddenly, you know, combined with psychedelics and then with with Politics and then with forms of stabs at spiritual pursuit, if you like. And that um, it, it all seemed so serendipitous to me at the time. But now, looking back, so many millions of people had this experience of proceeding from just that sort of rebelliousness to psychedeliousness to spiritualness. <laughs> And a lot of people had the same books that they read without knowing each other. And not everybody found gurus, but everybody knew about the gurus. And it was a development. Now, it's something very much evolved. And in some ways, it's actually evolved. It's progressed. And in other ways, um, people who are doing yoga now and, and are involved in social activism and the food chain and everything else... They're very interested in what was going on then that made this all sort of sprout, that made it jump out of the, out of the cultural and, and, and political and social and spiritual atmosphere right into our faces, and we were all affected by it. What was it? And what it was was, uh, I don't know, it was a miracle,
2: I think.
0: <laughs> I don't know either. I mean, it seemed... To flow in and out of each of the things that you've mentioned so uh, seamlessly, uh, th- the music fit with, uh, you know, the, the psychedelic drugs. The psychedelic drugs led to, uh, an un- you know, the only way you could understand outside of your senses what the East was bringing so it really all fit together like a glove, and you know what? It's to me, it ain't no different today. You know, and it's just—I mean, you know—there's some nostalgic thing. Certainly, you get—you know—a Dylan from that time. I mean, you know, it's a, a masterful thing. The guy's a—you a, know—a genius from back then. Uh, but I don't think it's any different today. I really don't. I think people are being, I mean, I think music is still a huge thing for, for people. And I think, um, you know, I think more so these days, the experimentation with psychedelics is becoming uh, even more prevalent in a positive way rather than in a, you know, let's do a joyride, take a bunch of acid, go down and, you know, do, you know dance all night to electronica or something. Uh, so I, th- so in that way, because things are so hard and so horrible these days, I mean, geez, it's pretty bad. Um, I, you know, people are being pushed into wanting, uh, investigating these things way more than maybe in the previous, uh, you know, 20, 30 years. I mean, there was a dormant kind of, you know, from in the eighties and nineties, I don't know, but it seems to be by the way that the feedback that we get and that I get in in the other work that I do, that you're right. There is a lot of uh, tremendous interest, and it's of a very substantial nature. So you know, we've we've hooked this thing back and forth from from the earliest pod or the earliest podcast. We have all of you know six months of podcast. <laughs> we're like we're you know old hands here but um certainly in the earliest podcasts we did talk about how strongly we felt the connection was between what we went through then and what is going on now and what people are going through now of of you know newer generations so i i i honestly i mean maybe it's because before the 60s and all of that all of what happened with music psychedelia and eastern spirituality you know, aside from the beats, it was pretty much of a deep hole of like, you know, Eisenhower era stuff, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it was a major exception for someone to, for instance, even talk about Buddhism or, or travel to Tibet or anything like that. Uh, because it just, it, 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 all you have to do is watch Mad Men. I mean, I, I, I hate to put it like that, but there's a lot of richness in that particular TV series. <laughs> of what the sort of hollow materialism and the escape after World War Two and the desire to own to own, to own, to own, and to get more and more prosperous and to get in the game was was rampant. And it didn't break really until the sixties. And then it only broke for a percentage. Well, like you know, Kurt you know, Kurt Vonnegut has this word that you, you know about. Karras, K-A-R-A-S-S, and for those who don't know that word out there, it's the group of people that you are really a part of. It's sort of like a satsang, but in his, the way he writes about it, it's more like a kind of serendipitous, like it it just comes up, these are the people in your life. And the people in our lives were very much involved in that world, but of course, uh, when you watch Mad Men, (laughs) you see that there was that whole other world that people pursued that were not that much older than us, if anything who wanted to be really successful in the corporate game uh, thing. Mm. And so that was a parallel. And it's quite true now that people, you know, are still kind of divided. I mean, there's a, a, a large, larger group of people now who are very much involved in trying to make the world better. I think there's a much larger group now than there was then, actually. And there's a much larger group involved in some form of practice or yoga. But there's also, you know... Millions of people who watch Fox, for God's sake, and I'm not going to make any bones about that. It's just like, if you watch Fox and you believe it, then you need help. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, well, those that people are still, f- what? why? Well, that's I mean, kind of racist. Fox? I mean, it isn't racist. I'm just saying that they're involved in they're, a kind they of... They have
0: to breathe, too, and, you know, earn their no, money. No, I love
1: I, them. I watch Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. But i uh, listen. Really, what really what I'm saying is there are people out there who really are not involved in ayahuasca or in yoga or in, or in meditation. Or not in, at what, Fox, okay. Um, well, not necessarily not the Fox. I'm talking about a lot of people who believe that version of reality and don't go any further than that right now. I know that's judgmental, but it's a fact. Well, here's something else that happens. Like,
0: I, I, Out of personal experience, my father was one of those, quote unquote, from uh, Mad Men. He was right. from Mad Men. I mean, he had the same, I've said this on a previous podcast, I think, huh? the same furniture and all that stuff. Yeah. But so he was, uh, so he might have, so it's just somebody, he's around late 40s into 50, maybe goes to Jamaica, you know, to one of those places where you, you know, you meet up with somebody and get introduced and have a toque, you know? Yeah. Wow get stoned a little bit. That's what happened to him. His friends turned him on at one of those... I forget what those things were called. You know, they were these clubs around the world where you, you know, singles kind of deal. So he went there, and he did that, and then, you know, he was still his high-flying advertising man. It's like
1: Club Med? Club Med. Club Med. Does Club Med exist
0: anymore? Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. I don't think so. So my my father typical much more extreme form
0: yeah i bet uh so he's an ad man he's a club med man and a world war ii bomber pilot and thought he wasn't afraid to die uh never had dreams because you know he had wiped out that whole war episodes so here he was okay and uh he's around 50 and i'm in my early 20s or something mid 40s late 40s whatever he was Uh, and, uh, I go off to India with my brother and, you know, again, something else we've, we've told before, uh, is my father actually followed me to India, followed us to India. And, uh, there's his conversion. I mean, he smoked a little bit of pot, so there wasn't really any psychedelics. Music, he, he wasn't into it. I mean, he he came
1: He was pre that zeitgeist. I mean, in other words, if you weren't between like, I'd say 14 And 28 in 1965, you weren't at the heart of it because your conditioning was very different. It really was. I mean, my brother, who was 10 years older than me, was a huge modern jazz fan. And by the time the Beatles came, he really turned up his nose at that. He wasn't a British person who went, oh, I love the Beatles. They're God. It was just like, that's crap. I hate it. I like Jerry Mulligan and Charlie Parker. What the hell that is was that? That was the
0: same as me. I didn't like the Beatles in the beginning. I liked Jerry Mulligan and Charlie Parker and John Coltrane. Well, so did
1: I, but I was I was a little faster than you, as you know. <laughs> I, no, but I was there. They were from Liverpool. My family was from bloody Liverpool, for God's sake. There was a lot to identify with. I really got the Beatles. But now that we're talking about it, when we had Philip Goldberg on this on this podcast, if you remember who, the man who wrote American Vader, yeah. he tied in. Heavily the Beatles and George Harrison and so forth to the spiritual sort of quantum leaps that happened in in America and in in Europe and other places And he was right because we experienced the Beatles from being just a pop band a good one But uh, you know growing through you know transcendental meditation and then writing songs like you know across the universe and all that I mean it we went with it and it was part of the thing the difference for you, Ragu, and it is different. <laughs> is, no, well the difference is that you were, you know, blessed in the sense that you and and Ramdas and Katie and Ramesh and everybody, and Radha and Parvati and everybody went and met with, you know, Maharaji and therefore had a direct experience of spiritual transmission. Others like myself had various different miscellaneous kinds of that, but we weren't for some reason, karmically, we weren't there with you guys. And and I consider it a personal, you know, affront that I wasn't, but also an amazing, an amazing blessing that I ever met any one of you. So, I mean, there were very different kinds of 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 reaching any kind of of of, of deeper or wider awareness, and it's pretty amazing that you were drawn to, you know, India, and then the hills, and then all of that incredible experience with Maharaj. Oh, it was just- so, i
0: just uh i'm just reflecting as you're as you're speaking i'm going Jesus! i have no idea how any of that happened myself i mean (laughs) being you know i was just a you know completely screwed up teenager you know going through the culture albeit i was in montreal so we had a little different um relationship with the vietnam war i mean you all were trying to get out of draft of the draft and we were trying to figure out how to get you over the border and and hide you you know so that yeah but, yeah but basically we're in the, we were in the same mix even though we were in canada and i it, again not to be repetitive but so the whole deal was so depressing from every different aspect even on the on the way to you know what kind of work are we going to be able to do to are we going to work like we see our parents you (laughs) know my father as a automaton you know advertising agency kind of guy you know i mean he broke out of it i mean listen karma is inexorable if you're supposed to get woken up you get woken up and he did and the fact he did you know, anybody can and does. We can. Well, not just him,
1: your whole family, which is even more well, remarkable. But in particular, I mean, <laughs> yeah,
0: well, yeah, that's some kind of crazy. Government. Yeah, but I
1: understand why you're saying that, because he, yeah, yeah, he, he was... Yeah, he was
0: so yeah. thick and so ego-driven. I mean, so we were just so sick of it all and all the examples we had and the people in government that we had. Um, it was... So I heard a few words, right? and a recording that went that were like, Okay, this is not reality. Here is a glimpse of reality and it made complete sense. So I guess I was just shit, I'm gonna go grab that with every breath I can take and and get straightened out, period. Wherever it took me and in this case it took me to India. So um
2: y- y- that
0: just there was so much. That's why I think it's similar to today. I mean, I guess it's there. You know, people have said, "Well, isn't there these kind of beings around now? Are they in India, South America? You know, where?" I don't know. I I don't see a lot of them. I I have you know, uh, not like it was when we were in India not that long ago. Yeah, it's, that's why I'm it's saying a crazy it's so thing, blessed. but. But, but, it, but, but then, I don't think it's necessary now. I think there's enough of the East that has come across through people like, you know, went and, and were with, uh, you know, it finished being like a realized soul like that. Or uh, uh, the transmissions have come from the Tibetans. Those Tibetans that are here are incredible, all the way. From, you know, we will mention Trungpa. We're going to mention Trungpa in every podcast that we do. So, some of the people out there, if you're pissed at us, it's okay. Write us, it's fine. But, like Trungpa. And um, I don't, I think people are absolutely um, going through exactly what we went through, and they're finding through these different transmissions from the East and from South America as well. Ways in which to take that just in the same way we took it, you took it, whether or not you happen to have you know be able to basically touch those feet of 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 that being which is is not living in in duality anymore,. Uh, But they get that. But they get it. Without having that physical, you don't need that physical thing. Why some of us had to have it We're probably completely ignoramuses that needed that thing. We
1: were so so lost in in the body and everything. But I mean, now, uh, so many people we've met who are in their 20s and their teens, heavens, who know about devotional yoga, who know about Buddhist practice, and are far more, far more um, attentive to following that practice than I was. I mean, I was, I, it was wacko time. I mean, you know, there, there was so much going on and it was, it, it was amazing and incredibly enjoyable. I won't deny that. Just being involved in all that sort of explosive uh, stuff that was going on in the 60s and early 70s. But, you know, young people now and people under 30, shall we say, uh, you know, really take uh, kirtan seriously, meditation seriously, and various forms of yoga seriously, and do it and practice, and have a very balanced kind of equanimity about them.
0: You know what they uh, what? People you know, take I really serious, am amazed. You know, I yeah. think people take seriously that uh, you know it's time to um, take action as well, coming from the right place, coming from a, a compassionate place. You know that uh, I see so many people um, that are. Involved. Now, I'll mention Social Venture Network. I think we've mentioned that before, and, and we're going to delve into that more in future podcasts around social action. But I really do, I mean, people are doing positive things from the right place, not from the place of, um, you know, doing it from your ego and causing cause and effect, you know, in, in just a different way. So I think a lot of that's happening too, not just substantially... Uh, interested in um, in practices that will balance their lives, but taking what they're learning and doing something about it, you know, whether it be through the environment or through,
1: through all, So all many kinds,
0: people, you see it all over Facebook,
1: all over Facebook, all over the internet. I mean, it's basically younger, but you, more youth than older people that have been involved in this drone controversy. It's been going on for a couple of years now, and it's interesting that uh, you know President Obama yesterday, his gave a speech saying that he wanted to pull back on the drones and give them different jurisdictions. I don't know what he's actually going to do, but I'm convinced, convinced, that one of the reasons he spoke about that was because of the huge, massive amount of stuff that's come from basically his base, the progressive wing of his base saying, we can't allow drones to govern the planet. You know, we can't allow police precincts to have drones in in america and all of this and it goes on every day and it's all the time and it's relentless and there he is giving a speech yesterday which was almost entirely about we have to change the way we're dealing with the drones now you can be skeptical and say well that's all words it's rhetorical it means nothing i'm not sure about that i think that he has to abide by certain uh forces that are coming at him from his own uh political base so I've been aware of a lot of that stuff, you know, the Monsanto thing and everything, the GMO thing made a lot more aware by people who are doing something about it. If it's collecting signatures is one thing, if it's writing articles, if it's going to Congress and speak, you know, yeah. it's, I, it's incredibly powerful and the internet has really made it happen because yeah. no. what were people supposed to do before, you know, go in the street and shout? That's what we did. We went in the street and yelled as loud as possible so people would catch it on a, a 16 millimeter film camera and it would go on the nightly news, the only news we had. Now we have this infinite Akashic record called the internet and everybody can know everything about everything. And of course, it's got its downside too. But heavens, Facebook is all full of people saying, I'm not going to stand for this. You can't build that pipeline. And you know, that's pretty impressive. We didn't have those tools in 1968, did we? No. So, what else do you want to talk about? I'm bored. Oh, well, I, I wanted to just mention that, um, what did I want to mention? That, uh, you know, I don't know. I, didn't, I have nothing else on my mind except on this <laughs> on, at all except to say that it is true that people are far more organized now than they ever have been to try and make conditions for other people better mm-hmm. and for themselves which is essentially a spiritual practice, right? I mean, it totally is. It's karma yoga. And it is amazing how the, the use of the internet becomes more and more skillful every day and that people get better and better and better and better at making their voices known so that there's actually a b- more democracy going on even though we're living in a time of corporate, you know, hegemony and everything. Mm-hmm. There's another thing happening at the same time and that's that's i think kind of makes me feel good you know what what i mean i that's it for me goodbye it was nice knowing you you certainly um have elucidated on a very very
0: important subject and i'd like you to continue uh because i uh dave uh was in florida recently and uh And I called him or we spoke just after he landed, I think. And so he flew down there and ended up sitting next to some extremely interesting person. And what came out of it was, uh, I mean, there's one thing in it that I'd like you to relate because it really does address what we've been talking about. Um, Oh, yeah. I thought it was just (laughs) incredible, you know, so can you... And well f- it's focusing around, you know, it's, that, uh, I, what he did looking into people's
1: eyes, you know, at that moment. Yeah, though. yeah. He was a, a, a law enforcement officer. He had been a highway patrol guy in New York and uh, was in a fairly high position. And he, w- he w- was driving to the city when 9-11 happened. And then six months later, uh, he stopped working on the pile and everything and uh, inevitably got throat cancer and went through some very, very, very heavy changes. And he was the first responder of the highest, you know, kind of courage, really. And he told me great detail. I was just very moved. But what was interesting was he also talked about being a, a police officer in New York and Queens and the Bronx and dealing with really, really, you know, violent people and having, you know, a Glock pistol placed at his temples and and having three guys with with uh, automatic weapons looking at him in a crack house in the South Bronx and so on and I asked him you know I said God what a life I mean yeah there's some excitement there but it's incredibly stressful and he said yeah it's so bad out there man you don't believe it he said but I'll tell you what it's all about I said what is it he said well it's all about love isn't it and this is coming from a hardened NYPD guy and I said yeah it is but Tell me what you mean by that. He said, well, I just saw so many people who'd never had any love in their lives, man. You wouldn't believe it. Over 30 years in the force, all over New York, all over the five boroughs, seeing people doing violent acts and acts of brutality, both to their own family and to other people, sometimes murderous acts. I look in their eyes and I see no love and there never was any love and they were never given any love. And that's the whole thing, Dave. Mm. i looked at him and it was like oh my god that is the whole thing isn't it and i mean obviously some people are going to say that's a simplistic nonsense but the way he looked at me when he said it he'd seen it
0: well that's and, why i love this it's not simplistic nonsense when you have somebody who is on the line like that on a day yeah, basis over his yeah, career that yeah is i mean so much more substantial than some you know than a a spiritual teacher saying you got to love everybody. And that's the rule yeah. of it all. This is, I mean, uh,
1: he was a tough guy, you know, and I mean, he was, uh, we, we got along cause we talked a little bit about rock and roll and we had the same taste and it was nice. But when he got into that after three hours, you know, you, you really can get it. If you trust someone, I mean, I didn't say much, which is very uncharacteristic, but when you're talking to someone who was, you know, at nine eleven and was one of the, people he lost lots of his friends in the fire department and the police force. But, You know, he was a straight shooter, shall we say. Mm. And a really nice person, I thought. And he was saying that he was always known as an aggressive, he made thousands of arrests because he believed that the law had to be enforced, you know, but he wasn't brutal to anyone. But he did make a big point, Rago, saying, it's down to this. If the children aren't given love, they don't know what love is. They don't recognize it. And therefore, they become cold hearted. Mm. And they will kill and they will steal and they will become addicted because something in them knows that they're sick. So he had the whole picture, you know, and, he's, and he, he got it, Raghu, from, from walking those streets and riding on those. I mean, you know, just like me, I'm sure, when we were youthful, I didn't have much time for the cops, you know, and because they were so against us in the, in the marches and all of that. And they were, more, they were less educated and less sophisticated then, too, as a matter of fact. But now, you know, just to listen to this guy say this thing and, and say without hatred, he, he went on a little bit longer. I don't remember the exact words, but about how he didn't hate any of these people. They didn't call them bad names or, or anything racist or even, you know, in, in any way sort of pejorative. He just felt for them because he saw exactly the mechanism or the process that existed behind their eyes. So uh,
0: Dave tells me this... Uh incredible story and uh oh god i was really turned on by by Ah. the fact that someone like this you know came to a conclusion that you know we all come to after doing a bunch of inner work on ourselves i mean or or having you know death-defying experiences i guess that's really part of it as well uh so uh now, my next thing I said to Dave was, so, wow, this is incredible. Man, he would be great for a podcast. We should be talking to him about this, about love and, you know. And, and so I said, so can you call him? And Dave goes, uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't have his number. I said, he
1: tells you this whole story and you don't have his number? You didn't think of this? Well, well I gave him my card. And because I thought that was a polite thing to do, and I just gave him my card. And I said, there's "What is on number. your card?" I, on my card is my name, is our two phone numbers, and uh, and an email. And it's what do you do? Are you a chiropractor? <laughs> 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 on my card, there's nothing. It's like space. It's like a void. It's a white card with nothing but letters yeah, on well, it. Yeah. Well,
0: can you tell can you tell our, our our friends who are listening <laughs> right now what you said to me when I said? Um, no. Why didn't you get
1: his number? So you could no, call him? I'm not, no, because i letters. No, I love, no, I'm not going to make any comments <laughs> about anybody. I just said that it was a little weird of me to ask him for his number. It just felt that way. I, I, I just felt a little weird to ask him for his number. I gave him the, t- it was sort of like a date, you know? I mean, you sometimes can't ask, or I couldn't ever ask any person of the female gender, can you give me your number? I could never do that. I was too scared. So I would give them my number. They've say, never had a girlfriend till he was 38. Did you know that? This is not true. I, was, I, I had sexual experiences at 15. <laughs> and not since. I sim. don't think we want to hear about them.
0: <laughs> at all. Were they with men?
1: I can't remember them. What are you talking about? Um, but basically... You know, uh, to go back to, I, I'm not going to use his name because I actually hope he calls me and, and we, we can talk. But the, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, people who work in the real world and have to deal with the public, not necessarily in such an extreme condition as cops, but, you know, nurses and people working, I mean, people who are working, unlike me and Ragu. Um, you know, <laughs> no, he works a little. But no, they, they, get, they come into contact with some real amazing stuff that makes them understand a lot about life. Um, and we don't appreciate the fact that they have those wisdoms sometimes until we get the chance to talk to them. And we don't get the chance to talk to cops that often. I don't go around talking to cops.
0: Well, I was arrested a couple of times uh, well, in Montreal uh, by the police.
1: Yeah, they were right.
0: Well, they were looking <laughs> for pot and... Uh,
1: Oh, well, I know. No, but, you know, so, I mean, but it gets back to that simple maxim, doesn't it, that, you know, you can go to all the analysis and therapy you want, but, you know, um, many people on the spiritual path, too, will talk about how they had very, very abrasive childhoods, and mm. it, it was almost, dest- almost destroyed their ability to function, and that then the 60s happened, and there was a collective sigh of relief in the sense of there's more people out there who feel this way and then there's this great music that goes with it as a soundtrack. And, you know, and there's also, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, love and a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that. People tell me that. I, I didn't have it. But, uh, you know, I, it, was, it was an amazingly wonderful time. But to get back to the parallels, which is what I think we were talking about, uh, it is just as much a joyous time for people now uh, well they have, joyous what, they, what do you mean joyous well if they're on, on in, in a practice, they can rise above the disgusting social and political pressures that are going on while rising above it and not getting crazy they can work in their, the best to the best of their ability to change things, but don't necessarily get suicidal about it because they're more balanced in their life they're not taking as many crazy drugs and they're not living in a, a hippie society <laughs> and you know they have to earn a living and they do go to yoga classes so they have a more balanced approach to how to deal with some of the things that are that are very dangerous on the planet particularly environmental and um, to do with war and war
0: listen to this
1: I got yeah something.
0: I got something, I got yeah, something. boy. Please. Yeah, because it, it speaks to what you, what did you say, joyous? To become more joyous, you just said, right?
1: Well. Oh, well,
0: that's enough. I'm,
1: you're yeah. making fun of me, I'm not.
0: All right, so um, gonna I'm going to read something and I'll tell you what it is. Um, All right. Generally speaking, the human species does, does make things a very big deal. Our problems are a big deal for us. So we need to make space for an attitude of honoring things completely, all the stuff of life meaning, eh? and at the same time not making them a big deal. It's a paradoxical idea. But holding these two attitudes simultaneously is the source of enormous joy. We hold a sense of respect toward all things, along with the ability to let go. So it's about not belittling things, but on the other hand, not fanning the fire until you have your own private World War III. Is that cool?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Who said who run that? Do you
0: want to take a guess? Um, it's somebody we have been speaking of in recent podcasts. Of course, we speak about the same people because yeah, isn't it, it great it, we like the same people,
1: Dave? Okay, it's, yeah, it, it is. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's not, it's not Payment Children. It doesn't sound like her.
0: It's Payment um, Children.
1: I'm so smart, you know.
0: I know you are. You're I, just I'm just wonderful. So it's quick, from, on
1: the, quick on the uptake.
0: It's from a new book. It's called How to Meditate, a Practical Guide to Making Friends with Your Mind. So I have to say to everybody out there, um, I have, uh, I got a couple of extra copies from the publisher because in my other life they want me to help uh, get the word out about it. And uh, so, I, if David, if there's uh, in all seriousness, and we I, haven't I guess mentioned
1: Audible or Amazon or anything, we're going
0: to mention it right now, okay? okay. But okay. I do want to say that. In terms of just practical information about how to get yourself just a little bit um extracted from the daily suck up <laughs> okay <laughs> uh this book uh and i've you know I haven't thoroughly read it, but I've read different parts of it. you know that part I read is about halfway through. This book really is amazing. I mean, you know, yeah. we love this teacher. I mean, she's fantastic. Yeah. She is. Uh, Dave put up a picture of her with uh, with President Obama the other day. Actually, um, she, she was, and she. <laughs> here we go again. She's a student uh, of uh, Ch- Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. So, you know, I guess there's something in that lineage that seems to be able to, pl- in very, in a very plain-spoken way. Address issues that can help us without uh, esoteric type teaching. So, how to meditate? It's Pema Chodron, and you can get. I don't know if it's. A, I bet she has a lot of stuff that's on Audible. Um, if you go audible. dot com slash trial, uh, or just go through uh, mindrollingpodcast.com dot com and go through that uh, banner, uh, you uh, can get a. Uh, you know, a free sign-up, and uh, we get a, a few shekels for uh, encouraging to do so. I have tons of great audiobooks you can listen to in your car. And then, David, you take the ball with, because this well, certainly is available on Amazon.com. Yeah,
1: Amazon is very good for us, and it helps us, because if you buy anything from Amazon and go through our banner, our portal, on our website, mindreilingpodcast.com, if you go to that banner, it's it's there. You'll see it. It says Amazon. If you hit it, it'll just allow you to do what you normally do on Amazon, except a small percentage of your purchase goes to maintaining this um, this podcast and everything about it. It's just uh, we're an affiliate, so you, it doesn't cost you any extra, and you get what you want. But you m- manage to you know give us something too, and it really works. We've seen the they send us the figures and the things. We know it's happening. It's very they're very honourable. And so audible.com. So if you want the audible dot com pay my children and things uh, go to our banner uh, or if, or for anything else notable they have a wide range of books and they're terrific but Amazon you or know, pants you can, buy, you can buy pants there you can buy anything yeah. so but I mean uh, Amazon obviously if you want to get a uh, you know a new watch or a, a I don't know note note paper whatever it is it's right through to books and, I don't know and what it is
0: either because you seem to spend your whole income Every month at Amazon. I mean, yeah, and
1: it's unfortunate that I. Yeah. Can't, but you know, you know what it's true though, that when I go to Amazon or when you go to Amazon, we don't benefit from this. They, they, don't, they don't give us that money from our own purchases. Which we, is crazy. Know, they
0: should. What's they the actually difference? Yeah,
1: they should, yeah. But we, we, in other words, but the, I guess they think, it, you know, we're not buyers. We're just right. us. But yeah. anyway, it helps. So please do that. And, and you, you'll. Um, or you'll you
0: can not. get a t shirt because uh, we now have t shirts, everybody. Yeah. Did, did you get your t shirt,
1: Dave? I didn't. I didn't. What
0: I got We gave you a mug.
1: Maybe, no, um, you, you gave me a mug. You, next time I did I'm you, see, you didn't send me one. I'm going to get it from the place. I want the maroon one. The maroon one, which was my idea, by the way.
0: Maroon. How come you haven't gotten a t shirt? Because you didn't,
1: send, you didn't send it to no, me. No, well, you, you didn't
0: send the money. You got to oh, send the money. The money. Yeah. Oh, I have
1: to pay for Oh, all right. I'll send the money. It's well worth it.
0: <laughs> I paid for the t shirts. You got to buy one.
1: Yeah, but those of you who like us out there, all of you, uh, it, you know, when you want to buy something, either a T-shirt or a mug or anything on Amazon or Audible.com, it really helps us. And, and you can donate too if you want to, if you have that kind of discretionary income, which few do. But um, we we totally appreciate that whole thing. It's important to us. And uh, what else are we going to? Oh, Pamela Chodron. Um, she is well worth every imaginable amount of time to read her because when you're reading her. Uh, she just simply uh, knocks you out of sleepiness, is the way I put it. She's got such a great style. I mean, style just so you it. want to
0: listen. To, you know, here's a chapter heading: "Drop the story and find
1: the feeling."
0: How cool is that? Yes. Uh,
1: she, if you if you want another form of Buddhist uh, practice, go to our uh, the person who is really very important to us, which is Jetson Chandra Rinpoche, the head of the mind uh lineage. And she's written a book called *This Precious Life*, and you can also get that on Amazon. And it's it's a different kind of approach to how to deal and use the practice in daily life. But uh, there are so many of these uh, incredibly uh, articulate, communicative, accessible Buddhist teachers around now. We yeah, are, and that's it, what we
0: were talking about. You know yeah, that these sure. rays from the east are so well established here that uh, you absolutely there isn't any difference in my mind. Being able to um, to touch the feet of that wisdom it doesn't right. have to be physical feet that is so available here that uh, it, it, it really is uh, full circle, really, from when we grew up in the late 60s. It is full circle. And uh, so I, I you know, we bring up people like this. Obviously, she's still alive. We're not talking about her as a siddha, as a companion. You know, as an enlightened being or anything like that, we're talking about her as having a ray that she she can share. I mean, that's another the sharing of this information now, obviously through technology, is incredible. But what's even more so when you speak of the Tibetans, and you know, you guys know how much David and I. I mean, we're we are very much into the Tibetan, uh, the Tibetans, uh, the Rinpoches, and and so on. what happened, you know, when China went in and did what they did and and his Holiness had to leave in what fifty nine um, and since that time is extraordinary how awful it has been and how what has happening, what is happening right now to the Tibetans in tibet. Uh, and you can't even mention his name uh, is so horrible. and then look what's happened here how strongly it has taken birth tibetan buddhism in in america i mean it's just a, a quite wonderful uh phenomenon and you can see you know get a glimpse into into the mystery i love that too i mean, we we just uh, as you know dave and i was uh, recently uh moderating a uh, retreat with Roshi Joan Halifax and Ramdas uh in uh in Maui Lucky right me. right right um but she uh we we did a podcast uh with the uh Duncan Trussell as you know y'all well many of you most of you know cuz we talk about him a lot too and i just said duncan bring along your uh recorder your digital recorder and uh, we had dinner and then I said just bring it out and I said here this is I introduced him in a way that uh, I hadn't before he was a friend and he I brought him along for dinner and uh, talked to him about you know his his level of interest in in sharing uh, what he's learned in life about getting straight you know inside himself and he did this fantastic podcast with them and it was a range of subjects by the way go to uh duncan Trussell uh dot com duncan Trussell family hour and you'll see the podcast with roshi Joan Halifax and Ramdas You must listen to it it's got some fantastic information in it and uh i just a one little thing from it is that uh his mother had died previously not you know a few weeks previously and he was talking about that and they were and Ramdas was talking about um, about death and dying and and in and in his case was was, because Duncan talked about it in terms of f- the fear of it and the finality of it and the void. You and Ram Dass was saying this: is, uh, you're speaking of it in this finality and voidness. It's rich with substance. It's it's rich with love. It's it's uh, you know you move you know you move into a a space which fills you up. And yes, you do leave your little identity behind. And there, you know, and he was describing a quite wonderful uh, bardo, as they would say, the Tibetans would say. And, uh, and then Roshi said, and so he said, what do you think, Roshi? And she said, well, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios you know, that, that come from many different traditions about what really happens when you do leave. And uh, I have to say for myself, I have the slightest idea, and but I relish in the mystery. Although I, she said, I do like Ram Dass's take on it. And, uh, you know, if I was going to, uh, you know, um, gravitate to anything, it would be that take. But she she said, again, I just relish in the mystery and I think that's a really high place to get to, you know, where you, we just like this thing with the Tibetans, who's to understand the horror that's gone on there. And yet the, uh, the richness that we take advantage of now, how does that work? What, what is that about? So, um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, I feel like if we can have more honoring and I love what uh what uh, Pema said in in this book, you know just you know honor the stuff that we have to deal with, but don't make such a big deal out of it and and most of all, honor the mystery of what 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 it is that brings us together in the way that we come together uh and and i I think uh, David, you are absolutely right in saying you know the availability of that and the presence of that in this uh, new generation uh, is so thick and palpable i think that uh, it's it it gives us a whole new a glimpse of of how what happened to us in the 60s is, is so parallel with what's happening now in a, in a in a much different way
1: I think we were. We uh, potentially there was more narcissism back then. Yeah, we were absolutely. seeking seeking for our own identity. Yeah, now people are seeking to help other yeah, individuals and to kind of get over the idea that this personality thing is so damned important. Don't make such a big deal of it because soon it won't be, and you'll be another thing. So, yeah, I think they're more day I, we're all in this together so yeah it's
0: not know. a day and absolutely yeah. not a day although you know we are pointing to to what's happening to you know people in their uh, you know more formative years in their 20s and 30s uh, yeah, in this case I mean, uh, and and comparing it so um honor the mystery dave
1: yeah if you want to read a book that will make all of this feel different read uh jed mckennas theory of everything.
0: Oh yeah, you told me about I haven't, yeah, it. I haven't well, gotten I, it yet.
1: I have just finished it and it's, it's uh, I'm not going to say anything about it. It's all about really three words. I am backstroke consciousness. I am consciousness. And that sounds, what is that? Well, it's it's been said by many masters. But the way he puts it uh, is also very healing in a way because uh, It just releases you of certain kinds of tensions, this book. That's all I can say. Uh, It's quite a harsh book in some ways but uh it's another recommendation if you if you go to amazon you'll find it there uh all right well
0: my head is swimming now from uh, you know a lot know, of books yeah it's a well, lot of books uh, you know it's like larry david particularly you know, if you're smoking driving. pot and then you know watching tv all the time stop watching tv will you read a book for
1: god's sake well that's all i do is read but i mean the thing is if people are driving which like, you I'm watch
0: gonna... that horrible
1: rugby whatever not rugby what you watch you call it football it's I'm not going to talk about this to you because it's very sacred to me and there are other people out there who love people like David Beckham and and, and, and Lionel Messi. And football is what it originally was. Nobody it's,
0: ever heard of these names in their entire...
1: David Beckham it's, because it's, he's it's, married it's, to the Spice Girls or it's, some it's, crazy the, bullshit. The Champions League final, which goes on tomorrow in, in, in England. So you'll be
0: out in front of your TV
1: all so, uh, day long. 1.6 billion people will watch that. Uh, let's compare that with the so-called Super Bowl and the even more laughably named World Series. World series okay. yes, the world of the united states football is played in 212 countries. all right i don't want to hear any more about it i can't
0: even it. you that. should
1: have started me on this
0: okay well goodbye let's say goodbye to everybody okay, and I'd- uh this is uh mind rolling and um we're we've been mind rolling along with this one wouldn't you say
1: yeah, yeah i would i want to shout out to uh noah lampert and to rachel fisher and elaine light and uh, and all the other great people who bothered to listen to us.
0: Well, thank you, Dave, and we shall see you soon.
1: Okay, au revoir.